This is Better Benefits, a podcast from the team at Brella Insurance. We're talking about how to use employee benefits to build a world where health hardships don't create financial burdens. If you're a broker or employer looking for fresh ideas and new products employees will actually use, this show's for you. Hello, hello. I'm Laura Cave, Director of Marketing, and I'm here with my coworker and co-host, our Chief Revenue Officer, Mike Cirillo, for Better Benefits episode number one. Today, we're going to introduce you to the team at Brilla, and we're going to explain why we are so freaking excited about supplemental health insurance, something I never thought I would say, but here we are. How you doing, Mike? I'm great. It's so good to be here, Laura. And what an exciting day for us. And another umbrella milestone as we launch this podcast. I'm not going to lie. I've always wanted to do one of these. And I'm pretty pumped in, uh, uh, about our topic today, supplemental health insurance. It is exciting. And I'm thrilled to be your co-pilot. Total bucket list item here. Here we go. That's right. So, Mike, you've been in the industry for a long time. You've worked at some of the most established insurance companies out there. And I'm wondering... I've never asked you this before, actually. What convinced you to want to join a startup insurance company? Hmm, good question. Well, I, I had a chance to join a later stage startup a few years ago, which was a terrific experience. This time, though, I would say it really came down to two things. First, having a chance to help write the script and truly build something from scratch at this point in my career is incredibly rewarding. And, and second, I would say that, and maybe most importantly, is our mission, right? The passion behind what we're doing and for who we're serving is really invigorating for me. It's easy for big companies to lose sight of this and the laser focus that we're putting on the employee, their pain points and their experience with us is like nothing I've seen at any Fortune 500 company that I've had the privilege to work for. I mean, look, healthcare for the average employee is unaffordable. And I say that, and I know it's probably the most obvious statement of the year, But the bottom line is employees deserve better. Our broker partners and their employer clients deserve a new solution. And to have a chance to build and bring that to market is really pretty cool. Now, how about you? Um, I know that you've been at a few startups and know this pace well. What made you want to join Brella? Well, initially, I didn't want to. I was consulting and I thought I didn't want a full-time role, but... I have been in health insurance and health tech for the past five years. This is my third startup in the space. And I really believe that solving the issue of healthcare and the cost of healthcare in the United States is one of the greatest challenges confronting our generation. So when I heard about, it was really when I heard about how simple Brella's solution was that I got really intrigued. And then I met the team and then I was really sold. Um, I had a mentor once actually that said, you need three things to be happy and successful in your career. You need passion, doing something you love to do. You need runway, a place to grow, and you need culture. You need to like the people you're working with. And so, um, you know, when I saw what the solution was and who I could be working with, I I was really convinced that this was going to be a great fit. And you know, as our CEO Veer says all the time, if you know that you can do something good, then you have an obligation to do it. 
And that really resonates with me, um, especially when you like the people you work with. So I jumped in with both feet and that was this past summer. I love that. Well, we're, we're lucky to have you here. It's been really awesome getting to know you and getting a chance to work with you. And that was very well said. I, I hadn't really heard that passion, runway, and culture uh, focus. I think that's great advice. And we absolutely have a great team here at Brella, which is exciting, right? It makes the days fun. It makes what we're doing fun and enjoyable. And, and we have a team that's rowing in the same direction every day is, is pretty awesome to see. So how about we meet a few of those folks today? Yes, let's do it. Okay. Well, it's my pleasure and, and privilege to introduce our CEO and founder, Veer Gidwani, and our chief insurance officer, Amanda Turcott, to today's episode. And for our listeners, we'll let both share more in a minute, but we wouldn't be here today if it weren't for Veer and Amanda. And we certainly couldn't talk about Brella without them. So they were the perfect choice to be our first guests in this inaugural episode. And I've known Veer for a number of years now. And, and prior to founding Brella, Veer was CEO and co-founder of two venture-backed organizations acquired by Fortune 500 companies, including Maxwell Health, uh, an HR and benefits platform that was acquired by Sun Life Financial in June 2018. So, Veer, it is great to have you with us today. Thank you, Mike and Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay. I also had the privilege of meeting Amanda earlier this year, just before joining the company, and we are certainly very lucky to have her here at Brella. Amanda brings an impressive track record to the table, including time at Fortune 500 companies like Chubb and Prudential and AXA, where she was chief actuary and head of underwriting for the employee benefits business. Amanda, it's great to have you with us today. Awesome to be with you. All righty. Well, let's get this party started. Veer, how does that sound? You'll go first if, uh, if that works. Of course. Let's go for it. Okay. So for listeners who may not be familiar with Brella, take us back to the beginning. And what gave you the idea for Brella? Sure. Thank you, Mike. Uh, well, first of all, you know, Brella is a, a, a very mission-driven company. And you see our mission statement on our website. It's central to each of us um, every day, and it's what we wake up to, that we're building a world where health hardship doesn't mean financial hardship. And when you look at the average family's finances, the math is, is straightforward, which is that deductibles and out-of-pocket maximums are far beyond what most people and what most families can afford. And it's certainly beyond what they have in cash savings at any point in time. And given how high the cost of care is, the equation just doesn't really add up. If you have a medical emergency, the bottom line is that most families will face some level of financial hardship uh, if that happens. And you know what is in some ways a bit discouraging as we started to look into this space, but also inspiring for us to bring something better to um, people is that there have been companies in this space for sometime. And, and it's our view that their products no longer fit the market need. They did at one point, but um, they don't anymore. And so that really gave us the impetus to go back to first principles and build something better. Uh, so uh, a, friend, a friend of mine said, hey, you really need to talk to this very interesting and smart lady. Uh, but, but just word of note, if you're gonna if you're gonna reach out to her, send her a text message. It's the only way you'll hear back quickly. So that's what I did, and um, here we are today. Yeah, like six thirty in the morning. <laughs> it was early. It was early. Yes. 
Fortunately, I'm usually up that early getting back from the gym. So that was okay. <laughs> but yeah, your friend was absolutely right because otherwise you're in my voicemail box where I've got like over 90 unlistened to voicemails. Um, so yeah, spot on, Veer. Excellent choice. Well, we're glad you guys connected. That's a good thing. So Amanda, take it from here. What, what made you want to get involved and, and answer the text? So uh, I had been working with startups uh, for a while consulting um, and had really focused on human-centered design. So I come from, like you said, traditional corporate world, actuary land, um, where product design in a big insurance company often um, may start with the marketing team who's done some voice of the consumer surveys or something like that, which are all aggregated into a deck of 20 slides. And then we get together in a conference room and listen to somebody talk about those 20 slides. And then, you know, the product design people and the actuaries and um, maybe some representatives from the internal sales team, you know, get together and brainstorm of how are we going to make our product better or how are we going to create a new product to meet the needs of this consumer who we haven't who have who we've heard from in a really distant sort of way. Um, my first role out of AXA, um, I was working with a startup who had two researchers working on that team um, that focused on human-centered design. And what that means is instead of you know starting with an idea of we have this product suite, how can we improve it? How can our products better serve the consumer? It starts with what are the consumer's problems? And how do we find that out? We talk to them a lot. Uh, in long form interviews, um, you know, an hour, hour and a half long interviews, um, without imposing a product idea on that consumer, but instead listening to them, how do they deal with their finances in a holistic way? Where do they perce perceive risk in their daily lives? Or have they found stresses on their budget? Um, and then we take all that learning aggregated over a you know relatively large group uh, of diverse folks that we've interviewed um, and say, okay, how do we solve this problem? Where do we see areas of risk? And fundamentally, that's what an insurance product is, right? It's a risk mitigation tool. So we identify the risk and then we create a way to mitigate it. Um, so that's what I was working on. And when Veer said, hey, <laughs> we want to think of a new way uh, to address supplemental benefits in the employee benefit space, I'm like all in on that because obviously that he's what he's saying to me is we have a problem, we've identified a problem, and I want you to be creative to figure out a solution for it. That's awesome. So walk us through what you built. You had this like unique opportunity to have a total clean slate. What did you do with it? Yeah, so I was fortunate in that you know, I had been interviewing consumers over the past three years, really, about help hardships and financial hardships that come with it. Um, so I'd heard, you know, on one-on-one -on -one interviews, you know, almost 100 consumers over that period of time. And then we at Brella did additional focus groups and really listened to people uh, with regard to how their supplemental benefits or, you know, how they would perceive supplemental benefits to interact with their health coverage now, what health coverage they had now through their employer and where they perceived the gaps um, and how they felt about them, right? So the problem we see with a lot of consumers is not 
that they don't have coverage for major health bills that end up putting them in the hospital, but it's the everyday things, right? It's the root canal you need to get. It's your kid broke their uh, arm at soccer practice um, or on the playground at school, and you've got to go to the emergency room, but you haven't met your $5,000 out-of-pocket deductible. And now the cash that you'd set aside to, you know, fund a down payment on a house or buy a new car next year suddenly goes toward medical expenses and you're back on all your savings to square one, right? And it doesn't, most people in the U.S. don't have $5,000 sitting around in their bank account to, you know, to, uh, to spend on a deductible if something sudden and unexpected happens. Um, and losing all that hard work towards saving, you know, in a prudent way for your family really stinks. So that's, uh, that's what the problem that we decided was the one to solve. Now, there's products in the market that say they solve that, right? You've got critical illness, hospital indemnity, accident medical coverage. But each of those doesn't actually address the core problem in a holistic way. Um, and it leaves gaps, which means the consumers, you know, buying something that may help them if they happen to land on that condition. I call it condition roulette, right? Like <laughs> the one that you happen to land on might be the condition that's paid for under your critical illness policy, but maybe it's not. And we see that, you know, I think a lot with recent experience with coronavirus where folks end up in the hospital in critical or uh, intensive care critical illness doesn't cover that, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or you have a major condition that's not covered by your accident policy because it's an illness, not an accident. So what we did was we built a product that has a wide range of conditions, over 13,000 in the base contract. And we have payouts that make sense relative to your out-of-pocket expenses, right? You're not going to have a $50,000 benefit from umbrella policy you're going to have a $2,000 or a $5,000 or a $7,000 benefit that actually covers the expense that you've incurred as part of this medical crisis came up in your household. Right. When I was first learning about these plans, it's it, it, what always stuck out to me was that the original supplemental plans were designed back decades ago when health insurance plans had limits. And so they were designed to give you this big benefit after in the in the rare instance that your health insurance actually paid out, but but paid to its limit. And then you had this big benefit afterwards. But today with high deductible plans, we're really finding families that have this large expense to cover from first dollar. And so how do you actually cover that? Brella's designed to actually complement today's health plans, it sounds like, instead of the way things used to be. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how many of our listeners remember, you know, policies in 1987 and and that type of stuff when we had $200 per year deductibles. It was like you, most people can cover $200 a year deductible from their savings account. But then mm -hmm. if you had heart attack or cancer, back then heart attack meant open heart surgery and all that kind of stuff highly expensive um, services, um, same with cancer. Um, so, you know, if you had a $500,000 annual max, you're going to run through that. And that's when you really need that critical illness policy. Mm -hmm. But that's not the cover. <laughs> that's not the insurance we have anymore. 
But that is the same critical illness policy we have. (laughs) Yeah, new problems warrant new solutions. So Mike, tell us, like, from your perspective, how different is a product like this in the market? Yeah, good good question. Well, I think the, the first thing is it's a new product and solution, right? And our industry isn't really known for product innovation. We're pretty good at the tweaks and the adjustments. And most times that's due to competitive pressure, right? Carrier A is offering this benefit that's, you know, double what the current benefit is, but the construct of the products have remained pretty much the same for decades. Um, so we're not really arming broker partners and employers with new insurance solutions in our space generally. Obviously, we're different here. I say it all the time. I'm the lucky one who gets the chance to talk to uh, brokers and employers about Brella, and the feedback's been very positive because I think we're relevant today, to your point, not only when it comes to the coverage that Amanda mentioned, but also in the way that we leverage a simpler product to enable technology and, and really a simpler consumer experience. And the one thing, you know, I say this all the time to brokers, I'm going to brokers, I'm going to poke a little bit at the traditional or legacy products in this space, but it's important too, because, you know, employees do deserve something uh, better today. And, and when we ask an employee to choose between multiple products like a critical illness, hospital indemnity, uh, accident insurance plan, um, and they're, you know, each of those are individual buying decisions, we're putting that employee in an incredibly difficult position, right? It, it's it's a game of guesswork and it's a game of gamble. Yeah. Which one do I buy and did I guess right? So being able to strip that away um, it is something that makes us very different. We don't require you to be hospitalized. We don't require your injury or illness be caused by an accident, right? Injury and illness doesn't care. It's just an injury and an illness, and that employee is dealing with the financial strain and pressure from that. So bottom line, we're giving our broker partners something meaningful to talk about and a benefit that's far more valuable for employers to consider. Yeah, and and as a marketer, selfishly, I love what you guys have designed because it's so simple. You have a diagnosis that's a covered condition, you get a benefit and you get to personalize what that benefit is up front. It's so much simpler to explain when you don't have so many of these legacy rules and complications and requirements. So so that that's huge. Well, and that's where the confusion and the complexity and frustration lies today with the typical employee, right? They they think they bought something, and when it comes time to using it, it doesn't turn out the way they thought. And and that's really a shame. It's a shame for that person who, you know, needs that benefit, thought they had something that they may not have in the end. So being transparent, being very clear and, and simplifying it to your point, you know, gets us back to the core of what we're doing, and that's solving the employee's challenge at the time when they, you know, certainly need it most. Right. Right. That's awesome. All right. So as a team, every week, we have a tradition where we share highlights and lowlights. Usually from the weekend, we're a virtual team working from cities all over the country, and it's a good way to keep track of each other. But I thought what we would do is share the highlight and the lowlight of building Umbrella so far. So, um, Veer, let's start with you. Can you tell us like your lowest moment? in founding Brella and also a time that you felt the most encouraged? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Good question. Well, first of all, Laura, I'm a glass half full kind of person. So mostly my lowlights sort of lead to highlights. So is that okay? Is that okay for today? <laughs> that Yeah. Okay. That's true. I, I know this about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So I have three to share. One is that, um, 
you know, we presented Brella to over 100 investors until we finally got a yes. Um, so that was a process and a lot of learning through that, um, you know, with folks who have a real pulse on what's going on and uh, what makes sense and how to build a great business. So, you know, I, I view those no's as opportunities to learn. And and eventually we, we, we've had great interest. We have terrific investors and advisors. So definitely a highlight now. Second highlight is that, uh, I mean, I love watching our team in action and, and tackling problems and coming up with creative solutions that is really invigorating and inspiring for me. Um, another low light highlight combination, uh, you know, as we've begun to tackle this problem, it's a journey. And through that journey, we've, we've been exposed to real life stories um, and what, what um, families really face. And, you know, we all know that there are challenges out there, but when you read an individual story about a family or person and how their health hardship has led to financial hardship, um, you know, that, 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 that's tough. And, and of course, the, the high that comes out of that is, is the ability to, to do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we actually do that intentionally as a team once a month with our program called Brella Cares, where we are able to make a small donation to a family on GoFundMe. A different member of the team will choose each month a family to benefit, and it'll be someone in uh, Texas, which is our first market, who's experienced a condition that we would cover. And um, by acting on that, we're, we're giving ourselves a chance to like put our hearts into their story and to put our money where our mouth is and to kind of jumpstart the, um, the experience of what we're going to feel once we are, you know, have fully enrolled members paying, uh, filing claims and paying, paying their claims. We, we wanted to get that going as soon as possible because it's really part of our DNA as a team. And, and um, that's thanks to Beer's leadership. So Amanda, now it's your turn. Tell us what was a low moment and what was a highlight so far? Yeah, so I think from the beginning, since the beginning to now, the lowest part, which I think a lot of folks listening to our podcast can probably relate to in some way, um, was we developed our product and we filed it with the Texas uh, Department of Insurance at the end of February. Oh, February 2020. We had no idea. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> when we could go to restaurants. <laughs> well, we sort of started to have an idea, I think, in February. But yeah, and I mean, I have been working with state insurance departments my whole career. And generally, I find it actually a really useful exercise. I mean, the insurance departments throughout the nation um, do a really good job at, uh, you know, protecting consumer interests, which if you're creating an insurance product to help consumers, right, having the feedback from those departments on what they feel, you know, maybe wording that could be confusing to a consumer um, and how you could improve your product to make it more clear and useful. I mean, I always find that interaction really beneficial um, for the most part. Um, and so, you know, I was looking forward and Texas, uh, I've you know, I've always worked with Superwell as well, and they have generally a pretty fast timeline. So we had a budgeted timeline in our, uh, you know, market uh, entry plan. Um, and then, like a lot of 
folks around the country, March came or, you know, mid-March came and all of Texas Insurance Department went home and wasn't, weren't working in the office before anymore. You know, and that just causes disruption. It caused disruption across the whole business environment of the United States, I think, where things that we thought would happen in a month or two, um, maybe at the beginning of March, ended up taking significantly longer because we're all learning how to work in a completely different way. We're all, you know, if you had, you know, mainframe systems or you worked on a desktop computer in an office, well, now I'm at home and how do I get a laptop and how do I adapt to this? And I'm used to handing you know, a paper file to the the person across the aisle from me, and I can't do that anymore. And we can't talk about this filing that's on my desk, you know, in a casual conversation. So yeah, I think it took a few months of adaptation for um, both us, the company's filing products, as well as the department to sort of get into a new groove um, and learn how to work effectively again. But what that meant was, you know, we hoped to go to market a few months sooner than we ended up going to market. You know, it just puts the timeline a little bit behind for everybody. And in a startup, um, you do set really aggressive timelines for yourself. So that what I would say like is was the low light. Um, I do think we had a great discussion with Texas um, and we're super excited about uh, how, really how excited their team was um, for the Brella product to come to market. So, so that was my low light. My highlight would be soon after we were approved, Mike sent me um, our first case to underwrite. And I'm in charge of underwriting too. So I got to see that case. And, you know, like uh, Vera was saying, you know, about the stories of every um, of every claim, of every consumer, there's also a story behind every employer. Um, and why are they bringing this product to their employees? Um, and, you know, Every broker tells that story to us in a different way. And I love hearing those. I love reading about the companies, you know, that we're uh, underwriting. Yeah, it's a huge range, right? It's so cool. Yeah, All kinds of companies. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, I really enjoy that. And that first week of getting, you know, several cases in the door um, to underwrite. And of course, at this point, um, we're we're taking a very hands-on approach to underwriting, whereas ultimately, you know, we'll be um, automating a lot of that uh, in a very insure tech kind of way. Um, but it's a super big privilege to me right now to be able to take a look at all the cases uh, coming through and learning more about the folks we can help. That's so great. I mean, nobody is more excited about underwriting than Amanda, which is, you know, can seem funny, but... <laughs> Actually, it's about these relationships and it's about what we're going to be able to do for these teams. And I love hearing you talk about that. Hey, Laura, do you mind if I just jump oh, in real yeah. quick and, and just validate Please. the uh, the Amanda love of underwriting yes. as the sales yeah. guy? I can tell you that is uh, that is a wonderful thing to see. And, and I will say, you know, one other highlight for us as an organization was you know, the day we we got our first uh, official notice of our of our customer, our first customer win. Obviously, that's a huge highlight and milestone for us. But it's it's really about validation, right? That that you know we're on the right track. That a seasoned broker partner likes what we're doing, is willing to recommend us to one of their valued employer clients, and that that employer 
uh, sees the value that we're bringing to the table. That was that was pretty cool. Really special day for us here. That's awesome. Okay, so a question for both of you, Vera and Amanda. We all know that something has to change in healthcare and health insurance in order for things to to get better, right? But change itself is really challenging, both for individuals and for organizations. So I'm wondering if you can share what are some mindsets and practices that we and everyone listening needs to adopt if we're going to make benefits better. So Amanda, let's let's start with you. Yes, yeah, so I would say listening first um, without preconceived notions of the solution is what's going to help us start down a better path toward uh, solving healthcare in our country, right? Like it's an incredibly complex uh, problem um, and no one solution is going to be perfect for everybody for sure. But, you know, I think Brella does a great job of starting to make incremental change and lessen the burdens on American families. And I'm super excited to have been able to be a part of building that. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Amanda. You know, on mine, I think it has a lot to do with the people that you bring together to solve a problem. And, and you know, I think Brella is made up of a group of people who are certainly mission aligned. We all want to solve this problem. Uh, we're also values aligned. But that said, we don't always agree. <laughs> we definitely have our fair share of, um, you know, vigorous disagreement. But we're always headed in the same direction. And, you know, that enables us to come to good conclusions. And as Amanda said, keep moving forward incrementally. And I think I think we're benefited by the fact that we have folks from all sorts of different perspectives. We have people from outside of the industry who bring a variety of, of different and valuable experiences. But we also have people on the team who have very deep experience in benefits and insurance. And I, I think that history informs the future and to that extent to understand the history of a particular product or market or space um, can really have a big impact on how you think about challenging the status quo and pushing the envelope. And through all of that, there's a lot of sharing of ideas. And, and you know, and I think, you know, from our perspective, you need a diverse set of angles and points of view that come from people who've got diverse life and professional experiences. And from that, the best ideas, um, you know, surface up. And, you know, like Amanda said earlier on, things are moving fast, not just in in young companies like this, but life just seems to be moving fast, I think, for just about everybody to one degree or another. Uh, and there's a lot of complexity. I mean, the world is getting more complicated. Problems don't have simple yes or no answers. Um, they're often caveated in, in details. Um, and so, you know, I think like um, solving any problem that's complicated, communication really matters and having a cadence where people can collaborate. Uh, I know that, you know, all of us are working remotely and, and uh, that doesn't have to be an impediment to communicating and sharing ideas and um, having the virtual water cooler conversation where a spark um, comes to light. Um, so we have daily standups. We we have weekly team meetings. 
Um, and all of that helps us stay on track, um, but at the same time enables us to adapt um, and, and sort of take on new things that emerge week to week um, so that we can keep pushing things forward. Yeah, I have to say working remotely for the first time, 100% working from home for this company, it's been extremely beneficial to have that daily checkpoint in the middle of the day to say, this is what I did this morning. This is what I'm doing this afternoon so that all my coworkers can hear that. And then to know on a weekly basis how each person's work is progressing. I mean, I, I sort of wish that we were, I was always organized this way in my career. That's been like super helpful because then when things do change, which they do in a startup environment, the plan was this, now it's that. Um, it helps us be flexible, I, I would say on the day-to-day. Yeah, not not only f- flexible, but but I think um, as Veer mentioned, sort of quick to adapt, right? Because I think we see how each area comes together and, and how it connects and how one influences the other. Uh, and that's really, you know, pretty, pretty powerful for an organization, regardless of its size or stage. So Veer, we we talk a lot about boldness here at Brella. It's one of our core values. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what what does that look like for you to practice boldness as a leader and and how you cultivate that on a team? Yeah, thank you, Mike. Good good question. You know, I think that um, you know to be bold is one of our three core values at Brella, and and you know I'll just take a moment to highlight uh, all three of them and what each of them mean in sort of the sentence because I think how they all hang together is really important. Um, to to make progress. So our first, and this is in no particular order of importance, but the first guy we talk about is to be curious. Uh, and, and for us, that means that we use data and qualitative insights to always improve. Our second value is built a delight. And to us, that means that we never settle and strive to go beyond the expected. And then finally, like you mentioned, Mike, to be bold. And for us, that means that we challenge and reimagine the status quo. So on that point of boldness, you know, I think I think for us, and I've mentioned this a little bit earlier on, the importance of understanding history and in the context of being bold, I think that is rooted in the idea of understanding the journey a customer goes through. Uh, and Amanda talked a lot about this: is is to build a product that um, appreciates the challenge or problem that that the intended customer is facing. And so, unless you understand the journey that customer has gone through in the past or what that journey is um, for the incumbent products in the space. Unless you understand that, it's very hard to um, design something better. And, And I think that when you understand that history and you've got a vision for what you imagine it to be, then you can really come together and take the best of what's existed before because there are many things that make sense uh, that have a role to play in the future, but also to adapt and make things better that um, really meet the needs of the customer, you know, head on. And I think that, you know, once you understand that desired place, you can relentlessly march towards it. Uh, And, you know, like Amanda said, I think, you know, keeping the customer and the person, the family at the center of the thinking is is a big part of being bold. That's awesome. So we always want to leave our listeners with something practical that they can act on after they hear these episodes. And so I'm wondering, 
Is there a book or a resource that had a really big impact on you as either a professional or as a person that you would want to recommend to our listeners? Sure, I'll go first. Um, so <laughs> the uh, I was thinking about this, and thank you for sending questions in advance because uh, this one took me a minute to noodle on. But when I was sort of youngish in my career, in the early stage, I went to a luncheon and they gave us the copy of Women Don't Ask by Linda Babcock and Sarah Lasher. And it's not, a, it's a very, I'd say, academically focused book, right? On why women often don't ask for the things they want, whether that's higher pay or more opportunity or, you know, more flexible hours or whatever it is. We're just socially, it doesn't happen. And, but that book, and often I've read these books and it comes across as like more of a coaching and a blame and you should be asking and all that. Um, but these ladies, and I think Miss Babcock is a, uh, or Dr. Babcock, right, is a, a uh, uh, economist and comes at it from a very, um, research perspective and you know this is the study these are the results um which gives you know then gives the reader a lot of opportunity to say like huh this is the world that i live in not the one i wish i lived in or the one i should live in according to the author but the one i do um and then you can sort of make up your mind on how to respond to that um so it really changed sort of the trajectory for me in my career um because instead of uh instead of sort of accepting the outcomes that were coming toward me or the opportunities that were coming toward me, I started speaking up more, which was not natural at first. Um, but I was like, well, if we're experiencing worse outcomes because we don't ask, then I'll ask. Um, <laughs> so because... And look at you now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think Vera would probably attest that uh, I don't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I have something I want, which uh, doesn't always make his days great, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. I was just going to say in an episode where we're talking all about managing change, creating change and boldness, I think it's probably a really good recommendation for anybody, even if you're not a woman, oh, totally. to be asking for better. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting read, even if you, well, obviously I'm a huge fan of behavioral economics and like in-depth interviews and uh, sort of evidence-based change. Um, so I think if you like that kind of stuff anyway, it's a really cool book. Cool. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Awesome. That's, it's great advice to your point, Laura, regardless of where you are in your career or what you're doing. It's, it's, a, it's a good, healthy reminder. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Um, you know, we, we get to work together and, and talk every day, but we don't always get a chance to step back and reflect on how, how far we've come as an organization and why we're doing what we're, we're doing here at Brella. So I uh, really appreciate you guys taking the time to, to join Laura and I today. Yeah, thank you, guys. It's a real honor to be able to do this with you. Um, so with that, I think we're going to transition to wrap this up up. So as we wrap up the episode, what are some key takeaways that you want people to catch, Mike? Yeah. You know, I think the first one is that the problem that we're trying to solve is a big one. 
right? And I, I think we all know that, but but solving the challenges of today require us to be willing to challenge the the status quo and be different. And, and I think that that leads to the second takeaway for me, and that's managing that kind of change isn't easy. But Veer's earlier point about how to do that well is sticking with me, right? Being bold in your thinking, having diverse experience, mastering the skills of communication and collaboration, being willing to adapt. Yeah, it's going to take all of that, right? For us to make an impact, uh, whether it's us here at Brella or, you know, or uh, others that are, are sort of stakeholders in this space. How about you, Laura? I I really love what Amanda said about bringing human-centered design thinking into insurance. It's so it's also similar to like lean startup uh, philosophy about, you know, really looking for product market fit before you build something. I think that's really powerful and and something that's really been missing in our industry. So so that was cool to hear her talk about that and you know, while Brella is a is a start, it's one answer to one of the you know some of the issues that are going on, uh, and it's designed to help relieve the burden that families feel when they get you know a, a moderate or severe health issue that that hits that deductible. We're also going to need other innovative solutions across the whole benefits package, from mental health, major medical. Um, HSA plans, uh, dental plans, there's a whole host of spaces where innovation and design thinking can bring new products to market. And that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast actually was to hopefully talk to some of those folks and start to hear about more solutions that are new to the market that when they work together, they create an entirely new benefits package that works way better for consumers. Yeah. I, I, I've got a close friend and former colleague who always uses the term, it takes a village, right? And I think, um, you know, the benefit space is just another example of it takes a lot of people coming together to, to help, uh, you know, sort of solve the the challenges that we face, that employees face and, and, and bring those to a place where uh, solutions can, uh, can be easily um, delivered. So, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. If any of this discussion resonated with you, if you're a broker partner or an employer or anyone else who's listening and want to get involved or reach out, just uh, send an email to sales at joinbrella.com. We're working with brokers and their Texas-based clients right now uh, in this uh, fourth quarter enrollment cycle. We're also doing some work for off-cycle enrollment. So uh, certainly don't wait till next year to... Uh, bring a benefit like Brella to uh, your employer clients or to your teams, we're uh, on standby, ready to help. That's great. Thanks, Mike. Visit joinbrella.com slash podcast for notes from today's show. And if you liked the episode, share it with a colleague. This helps us spread the word. Be sure to subscribe or follow in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss our next episode. And that's a wrap. This is Laura Cave and Mike Zarillo from the Better Benefits Podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.